I don't want to even speculate what percentage of believers pick and choose the scriptures they want to obey. But man, we've got to come to that place that all the inspired word of God, all of it applies to us. And that we're not an exception to the rule in this place or in that place or in this way or in that way. But we say, God has spoken. And as hard as it is, do you know what it means for me to submit to that? Do you know how hard it is? You're telling me that I'm a fornicator. And that means I would have to move out of my girlfriend's house. I'd have to find another place to rent, which I can't afford. That means I would have to, and you start going down the list, and it's like, yeah. The life of sin has, you know, dug you a very deep hole. And your first steps of obedience are walking out of that pit. (laughs) And for you to just get to ground level is going to take a lot of self-denial, There's going to be a lot of loss relationally, financially, in time, and discomfort. That's why Jesus said, stop, (laughs) told the multitudes. Before you come to follow me, you're going to have to be willing to deny yourself daily, Luke adds, to take up your cross and follow me. No man who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is worthy of the kingdom. Therefore, count the cost. And again, there are people and I've seen it who are in these circumstances and they come to Christ and and in many cases their their job is an ungodly job that they're deeply convicted about even before they were a Christian many of them are addicted to drugs many of them are living in a relationship of fornication one of my good pastor friends he had spent his life, he was in his late 30s, but he had spent his life buying things that had Budweiser on it. And he was an alcoholic. But I mean his mirrors, <laughs> his tables, every glass, his you know, forks and knives. I mean, literally every, and so he was gonna sell it. It was worth a lot of money. And God just said no. And he just one day went and just busted it all up and threw it in a dumpster. And I'm not saying that everybody has to do that. I'm just saying for him, it was, it was just a price he was more, more than willing to pay to put that all behind him and start a new life. I, I'm not saying that it's gonna be easy. Christ never does say it's easy. But there are people that, that come and say, well, I'll come to Christ, but wow, that's too high of a price I'm willing to pay. And I'm just going to change the Bible to my thinking, to my liking, to make it an easier way for me to submit to God. One commentator writes this, the insubordinate. They become a law unto themselves. They begin to undermine the true authority by nitpicking leaders. At first, it is not a direct attack, but their words eventually turn into ones that slander the leadership. They may say something like, well, the pastor is a good teacher, but he doesn't teach the whole truth in this one area. Once exposed, they will not take correction and typically leave proclaiming God's judgment upon those who reject their message. 
They get a following by themselves, so they try to take from the church one disciple at a time. So the whole concept of insubordinate is not just that they're not under the authority of God, but they feel that they have to gather others under their banner of insubordination, a gang, if you would, of insubordinates. And so this is, again, why they're poisonous. And we're going to see in the next verses, it says they subvert whole households, um, undermining the people in their walk with the Lord. Next, we see not just the many insubordinates, but we see many people who are both idle talkers on one side and just out-and-out deceivers on the other. On one side, they're idle talkers. In other words, they're smooth. There's really nothing that they say that's of any value, but it just, you know, the words just sort of, you know, drip off their lips, and it's so eloquent and and so... uh, pleasant to the ears but yet if you really say what verses are you quoting where is that verse found is that really what that verse means and you begin to weigh what they say these idle talkers you realize it's just a bunch of bull it's just a bunch of hot air it sounds very smooth it sounds even very um tempting to 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 try to grapple with what they're saying there's just no weight in it There's no substance to it. And then there's others that are just out and out lying. They're deceivers. At first, they they don't believe their own lies, but eventually they begin to believe their own lies, deceiving people, especially those of the circumcision. In particular, there on the island of Crete, there is a group of Jews legalistic, if you would, Pharisee type of Jews. And, and they knew they were lying about a lot of the things they said. You know, the Talmud said this, the Mishnah says this, and they don't have access to check what they're saying. If you've ever looked at the Talmud and the Mishnah, you're talking thousands and thousands of pages, hundreds of papyrus scrolls. Only the richest of the rich could even have access to them. But the rabbis and many of these Judaizers, they would just get up and say, well, the Talmud says this, the Mishnah says this, and Rabbi Hillel says this, and Rabbi so on. And it's not true. They know it's not true. They just have something in their head they want to be true, and they just make it up. And and it's virtually impossible to check out the facts that they're saying. And some are just smooth talkers repeating what somebody else had told them, even though it was a lie and they have suspect that it might not be completely true. But, you know, I'm not going to let the facts mess up my good, my good story here. And so they just roll with it. Uh, out and out saying, this is doctrine and this is what God is saying and this is what the rabbis through the centuries have said. And it just, it's out and out not true. And then in particular... He goes on to say there in Titus that um, they contradict. They, there are many unsubordinate idol talkers, deceivers, especially those of circumcision, whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole households, teaching things which they ought not for the sake of dishonest gain. So there's many different motives going on, many different reasons that it's happening. But they're coming in 
trying to make Jews of the Gentiles saying whatever they need to say to get the Gentiles to join their circumcision club and their own brown their own brand of Judaism which is not even true Judaism and if the rabbis in Jerusalem could have heard what they would have said they would have rebuked them themselves it wasn't correct i mean even if they weren't preaching christianity just plain out Judaism of the Old Testament. It was a lie, even from that. In Acts 15, you might remember where Paul has to go back to Jerusalem because there was a group of Judaizers coming behind him trying to tell the Gentile Christians that they must be circumcised. And in Acts 15, verse 3, Paul says, So being sent on their way by the church... They passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, describing the conversion, the conversions of the Gentiles. They caused great joy to all the believers. And when they had come to Jerusalem, they were stopping back through the churches. They had started telling about other people in other cities that had come to Christ and the great things God had done. But they finally came to Jerusalem. They were received by the church and the apostles and the elders. And they reported all things that God had done with them. But some of the sect... or the cult, if you would, of the Pharisees. So not even talking about the Pharisees generally, but in particular a sect of the Pharisees who believed, rose up saying, it is necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. And if you know Acts 15, Peter spoke up and said, absolutely not, this is wrong. They wrote a letter that Paul and some others from Jerusalem would go back to these churches that had been subverted by these uh, Jewish um, uh, legalists and, and told them right from the apostles in Jerusalem, here are their signature, this is not the truth. But it's an interesting thing. These guys, they had influence, they had money, they had power, and, and even Peter himself, at a later date, was, was moved by them. In Galatians chapter 2, verse 11, Paul writing says, Now when Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face because he was to be blamed. For before certain men came from James, that's the half-brother of our Lord, the apostle James had been killed, but he would eat with the Gentiles. So give me the bacon, man. Slap some more ham on the plate. But when they came, these group of Jewish men, this sect of the Pharisees, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. So here we see that Peter, if you would, was intimidated by these guys that were probably wealthy and dressed that way and were eloquent. And here's Peter, a, gent, you know, a fisherman from Galilee, and these guys with their doctorates and know all these languages and quoting all these various things from the Mishnah and the Talmud. And, and even he didn't want to get on their bad side. So he tried to make it look like he was living kosher life, even though he was living amongst the Gentiles. He was staying kosher. As soon as these group left, he went back to to the Gentiles, and Gentiles were stumbled by this. And Paul had to confront Peter. Later on this same issue in Galatians 5, we listen to the strong words of the Apostle Paul. 
Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. Do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. Indeed, I, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. And I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that he's a debtor to keep the whole law, which is impossible. And that's what Peter says in Acts 15, that nobody can keep the law. That's why Christ fulfilled it. You have become estranged from Christ, separated from Christ. You who attempt to be justified by the law, you have, here's a very strong word, fallen from grace. Grace is how we're saved. (laughs) Grace is how we live as a Christian. It's a grace that's gonna get us into heaven. And he's saying when you took the step to be circumcised and to try to start keeping whatever portion of the law you're picking and choosing. You left Christianity. You left Christ. You left a life of a, of a relationship with grace in Christ. And then he even gets stronger words in Galatians 5 verse 7. You ran well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion does not come from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in you, in the Lord, that you have no other mind, but he who troubles you shall bear his judgment, whoever he is. So Paul says that these guys that are intimidating, that are powerful, that are intellectuals, that, you know, the, they're eloquent of speech, God's going to judge them for trying to get you guys to become uh, religious Jews, And again in verse 11, these mouths must be stopped. The word stopped there is literally the word muzzled or to be bridled. It would be a very strong word. We would say today they need to be shut up. They're a serious problem. So evidently there's some who are saying, well, you know, they're giving their opinion and that's their culture and, you know, they were raised Jewish and, you know, some of the stuff they're doing is just a part of the Jewish culture and so forth. And, you know, it's interesting to hear it. And, I, you know, I, the other day at the home fellowship, the guy was telling us, you know, all about how he was raised as a Jew. And, and some of the people said, man, it'd be cool. I want to raise my kids that way too and do some of those things. And, and, and so they're looking at it as not as destructive. And Paul is saying, guys, these guys, whether you realize it or not, whether they're out now deceiving you or being idle talkers, either way, they are, notice this next phrase, subverting whole households. These guys are dangerous. They're sinking the ship of entire families. They're they're going into detail on teachings that should never even be talked about. They're, they're, They're taking some doctrine that doesn't even exist in the Bible and they're going into great detail about it. And in this great detail of all these doctrines that shouldn't even be discussed, it's causing whole households to move away from a a relationship in Christ by faith through the grace of God that God gives us. And then he gives a, one of their motives. For the sake of dishonest gain. What kind of gain? 
gain financially? Maybe. It would be sort of hard to imagine it in this situation. I, I think the gain he's talking about is followers. So if you would, they become the Rabboni, and they got a group of followers. And of course, maybe trying to get a bigger group than Titus's group. And getting the wealthy people, and so they can build a real nice building. And Titus is, you know, renting out a, a room in the hotel still or whatever. And, and trying to, if you would, through superiority by numbers, prestige, trying to, to say, look at our success. In 1 Timothy 1.3, again, things that ought not to be even discussed. Paul told Timothy, remember, Timothy and Titus were buddies, and Titus became a pastor in Ephesus, and Titus went on to Crete to pastor there. And he says in 1 Timothy 1.3, As I urged you when I went to Macedonia, remain in Ephesus that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine. One of the main reasons I wanted you to pastor there is because you knew how to confront. And I, that's what I'm, you're there for, is, is not just to teach the truth to the believers, but to stop the false doctrine. Verse 4, Nor give heed to fables, endless genealogy, which was caused disputes rather than godly edification, which is in faith. Now the purpose of the commandment is to love from a pure heart, a good conscience, a sincere faith from which some, having strayed, have turned aside to idle talk, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor the things which they affirm. These guys are, are shooting from the hip and, and they're making it sound like they're the final authority on things they don't even understand. In Second Timothy 2, verse 14, Remind them of these things, charging them before the Lord not to strive about words to no profit, to the ruin of the hearers. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. But shun profane and idle babblings, for they will increase to more ungodliness. We looked at that in the very first verse of Titus, that... What you believe is what you will live. And right doctrine brings about right living. Wrong doctrine brings about wrong living. And here he makes it clear that this stuff grows. It doesn't stay contained. It it poisons people and the poison continues on. And in verse 17, for their message will spread and now like cancer, he says. And then he names guys. Hyamenus and Philetus are of this sort. Their particular brand of heresy at this point, 1 Timothy was a different heresy, but 2 Timothy, they strayed concerning the truth, saying the resurrection has already passed. So they have an end times teaching that was just wrong. And notice what these guys do. They overthrow the faith of some. Making it clear here, people that were walking with Christ in the faith, through this false doctrine, changed it in for a different Jesus, as it says in Galatians 1. You have a different Jesus. You have a different gospel, which is not the one that we preached. And whoever told that to you, let them be anathema. This is serious business, Paul is saying. Households are being subverted. People's faith is being overthrown. 
People that knew Jesus and were walking with Jesus are now introduced to a different Jesus than they don't even know. They don't even know it's a different Jesus. They think it's the same Jesus, just a little bit different flavor. They've led him completely away from Jesus. In 1 Timothy 6, if they are talking about financial gain, in 1 Timothy 6, verse 3, If anyone teaches otherwise and does not consent to the wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, to the doctrine which accords with godliness, he is proud, not knowing, knowing nothing, but is obsessed with disputes and arguments over words from which come envy, strife, rivaling, evil suspicions, using wranglings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. From such withdraw yourself. Now godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and it is certain we can carry nothing out. Having food and clothing with these, we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil for which some have strayed from the faith and their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. So again, They were in the faith, but then they strayed away from the faith. And the doctrine led them into a place, instead of growing and being blessed and being built up, they were pierced through with many sorrows. This is serious business. This is a real thing. And here he makes it as clear as he can that these guys... These insubordinate, these idle talkers, these deceivers, especially of the circumcision, if their mouths aren't stopped, they're going to subvert whole households. They're talking about things, wasting people's times, getting people on thought patterns and into doctrines that shouldn't even be discussed. And for the sake of dishonest gain. And then in verse 12, one of them, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. Most believe it's a guy by the name of Epimenides, who was a native of Crete around 600 BC. He was known uh, in the 6th century as a great Greek intellect. He was known by the ancients as the seven great wise men of Greece. From him comes the word to a Cretan or Cretanize, which means you're a liar. Here it means much more than just a liar. But he says evil beast and lazy gluttons. And so here these guys are taking, if you would, from other religions or other philosophies or other intellects and trying to weave it in to their Judaistic teaching of the law. And again, they're affirming with great boldness what they're teaching, which is incorrect 
to begin with. They're not even correct on their quotes. They're not even correct on their doctrine, affirming things, as Paul said in 1 Timothy, affirming things to be true, which they know nothing about. And now in, first, in Titus 1.13, he says, This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in the faith. Now, the first thing here, it says, this testimony is true. So we're not sure. It can go, be one of two ways. This testimony is true that Cretans really are, <laughs> uh, as he says, they're liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. But you don't want to keep saying that about them. You know, the one thing I always hate about family reunions is they still see you as the dumb little 10-year-old kid. You remember that? I mean, here you are, 30 years later, and they're still talking about how you ate too much candy and threw up all over grandma, you know? And here you are, every year, 30 years in a row, or the time you, you know, peed all over yourself at church, or whatever it was, you know? And, and it's like, give me a break, you know? And it's like you sort of cringe. Don't want to be reminded of your foolishness or the stupid things you did. Anybody like being reminded of that? I hate that. I mean, it's like Satan's just trying to knock you down. I mean, here you've grown and God's used you in many ways and, and, and you're this person of, of renown, if you would, or respect, and all of a sudden, they're trying to knock you down a few pegs where you're the dumb little kid, you know? And, and so, in essence, he's saying this is true about the island of Crete. They are a bunch of liars and drunkards and a bunch of lazy people that are just trying to rob every... That's, that's been true through the history. But Christianity has come. And we're new creatures in Christ. And, and even though we keep slipping and falling back into things, you know, that we, we've, we thought we got rid of, you know, you think, man, I've, you know, I haven't, whatever it is, done that for a year. I haven't cursed in a year like that. And then all of a sudden you slip and you're back into some thing. And you go, oh, man, I, just, I don't want to be reminded of that. I don't, I'm trying my best to move forward and by God's grace. So don't, don't bring it up. Tell these guys to quit quoting this little quote or singing it in the little song or put it in the poem or whatever you're doing. Get, get the Cretans to see themselves in Christ no longer how they've been for a thousand years on the island of Crete. Quit reminding them about their days before Christ. Or it could be saying simply, this testimony is true that they're saying this. Um, so Paul had affirmation. He's heard from two or three times, or two or three different people, test witnesses, that he can name the guys like he did with Hermenides and Alexander of Lytus and say, hey, I have, I have witnesses that have heard them on more than one occasion quoting that guy. And it's, again, one of those things that ought not to be taught ought not to be said. So either way, it's being said and it needs to stop being said. 
And then he says something here in verse 13 that's rather interesting. He says, rebuke them sharply. To rebuke. You, you need to know that they're being chastised. So it's not, not this thing like, well, you know, guys, I, you know, don't be offended, but, you know, I hope this doesn't hurt you, but, you know, I, I, I think maybe it could be wrong, but maybe you, you shouldn't be bringing that up, you know? It's not what Paul's saying. He's saying, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, you're subverting households. You're causing people to stray from the faith. You're you're occupying their minds with things that you shouldn't even be discussed to begin with. But on top of that, you're bringing in in Bible verses that don't even exist. You're quoting the Talmud verses that don't even exist. You're twisting what the Mishnah says, and you're coming up with some Bible studies that it's ridiculous. The word sharply here, it's the word in the Greek, apatomos. Apo is from... And tino is the word to cut, like a knife or an axe. He says there, I want you to rebuke them, and in the words, I want it to cut. That's a pretty heavy thing. I want them to know. It's interesting in Hebrews 4, it says the word of God is a two-edged sword, that it pierces right down deep and precisely like between the bone and the marrow. I want you in the name of the Lord to rebuke them by the power of the Spirit, and I want them to be cut. Why? Because he wants them to bleed? He wants them to be injured? He wants to hurt them? No. That they may be sound in the faith. That it would be a rebuke that they don't forget. (laughs) That they, if you would, you know, here's Pastor Titus and, you know, we love Pastor Titus and, you know, we know that we're bad-mouthing him over here on the side and we know we started a Bible study he doesn't approve of, but he just out and out told us that what we're doing is of the devil <laughs> and it's hurting people and he started giving us examples how people are no longer walking with the Lord because of this foolish talk. Why? So they would come to repentance. Here he says that they may be sound, healthy in the faith. I want you to wound them so that you would cut that foolishness away, cut that false doctrine away, that they would be humbled from that proud and arrogant, insubordinate spirit. And they would just be humbled and broken over what they're doing in foolishness, in youth, in whatever they're doing it, I want them to, to, to sense the sting by the power of the Spirit, you as a leader speaking for God, and just tell them, absolutely not. This is unacceptable. And not only that, but to wound them sharply also, rebuke them sharply also, in verse 14, not to give heed to Jewish fable, commandments of men, who turn from the truth, to quit listening. So I want them to quit talking about it, but I also want them to quit listening to others. So these guys, if you would, I, I picture, if you would, young men who came to Christ under Titus's ministry, and some 
old Jewish guy who seems to have wisdom and they bumped into him at the marketplace said well come on over and I'll show you my copy of whatever and let's discuss this and these guys just hungry to know more about the Lord and you know they're going to four Bible studies a week with Titus but you know they're over there at fr- on Friday and they're listening to this old guy and they know he's not a Christian but man he seems like a wise old guy and he's been to Jerusalem 10 times in his life and wow you know it's interesting to listen to him and and if you would their their ears are being tickled with all of this information and 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 Paul is saying they need to quit repeating what this guy's saying. But on top of that, they, you need to put them in a place that they've got to make a decision. That they are going to cut, whoever it is, preaching this false doctrine, they're cutting it off. They're cutting it out of their life. They're no longer going to be welcome at the church if they're going and listening to the heretic. And then discussing what the heretic told them in the church. And so they need to make up their mind. Are they in the church and they're submitted to the Lord? They're submitted to just the teaching of the word? Or are they going to say, you know, I'm going to pick a little here and I'm going to go over there and pick a little and I'm going to, you know, pull together my own teaching and I got some intellectual uh, philosophies I like to discuss with my friends and we find it really interesting. He's going, no, it's, it's, it's not intellectualism, it's stupidity. But besides that, it's hurting many people. For you, it's not damaging you as much as it is damaging others. You can't give heed to it anymore. You can no longer devote yourself to listening to this false doctrine, in particular, Jewish fables. Um... There's many different Jewish sources that are spurious sources of all kinds of things. Um, you know, we have, uh, you can even see it in the Catholic Bible, uh, the Apocrypha. And uh, there's several books, I think about five of them, um, that have many different strange stories in it, but it's sort of filling in the gaps, if you would, in some of the stories of the Old Testament. And uh, in some cases, it's, it's history. In other cases, it's, it's out-and-out absurdity. But uh, the Catholic Church, uh, around 1500 A.D., decided to add that into the Scriptures. Um, it's not held, even by the Catholic Church, equal to the Bible. They do say that even though it's in the Catholic Bible, you'd see it there. They make it clear this is, it's the Apocrypha. It's uh, additional scriptures of history that they believe to be um, correct. We don't necessarily believe, most Catholics would tell you, that we don't believe it's the inspired word of God as the rest of the Old Testament or the New Testament. But we do think it's good information. And uh, some of it I, I do think it's interesting to read. But uh, again, to put it in the Bible, that's a whole other step. And there's many, many other Jewish sources out there that add to um, how you're to, to live for God. And many of it is out and out absurd. And I'm not going to go into detail on this. But remember in Mark chapter 7, Jesus sort of confronted some of these 
scriptures, if you would, that the Jews held as equal to the word of God, but yet it contradicted the Bible. In Mark 7, verse 5, then the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Jesus, why do you... Why do your disciples not walk according to the traditions of the elders, but eat bread with unwashed hands? And he answered and said to them, Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their hearts is far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. For laying aside the commandment of God, You hold the traditions of men, the washing of pitchers and cups and many other such things you do. So here, again, you you can see Jesus confronted with this. Guy saying, hey, this is traditions. This is equal to the Bible. And Jesus is saying, no, it's not. And there's many other teachings you have that are traditions that you hold as if God said it. And not only did God not say it, it's in contradiction to what God did say. And the, you're holding it over these people in an incredible legalism. It reminds me of Colossians 2, verse 16. Paul, again, having to talk to Christians who, who feel the pressure, if you would, of trying to keep the Old Testament law and all the Jewish traditions as well. In Colossians 2, verse 16. So let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding of festivals or new moons or Sabbaths, which are shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. They were all fulfilled in Christ. Let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility, the worship of angels, intruding into those things which he has not seen. So the guy here again, he's talking in detail about angels and all these kind of stuff. He's not seen. He's just... It's his imagination, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind and not holding fast to the head from whom all the body nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments grows with the increase that is from God. Therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why, as though living in the world, do you, su- you subject yourself to regulations? Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle which all concern the things which perish with the using according to the commandments and the doctrines of men. These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom in self-imposed religion, false humility, neglect of the body, but in reality are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. So again, it's, it's, it's persuasive. It's it seems true to the mind. And they have all these teachings on don't touch, don't handle angels and demons and all of these things. And, you know, I, I can't tell you how many times I, I've had people talk to me and all these detail about all these different kinds of demons and, oh, you got to watch this movie. And it's some guy who, you know, had this encounter with a demon or had these dreams. And, and people are going around quoting as if it is the scripture itself. Um, how you handle a sergeant demon versus a colonel demon, you know, versus a eastern demon versus a western demon. And, and it's all this crazy stuff. And it, they make it up and as if it's true doctrine. It's just some guy in his mind wanting to sell a book um, comes up with all of these things. And, and before you know it, 
Well, for the next three months in our home fellowships, we're going to go through this book on all the different types of demons and how to fight them individually. I'm not joking about it. I've seen this kind of stuff. And I've had pastors call me and say, man, we're getting into this, and what do you think about this chapter? And I'm like, what are you, you doing what? You're, you're spending three months going through a book on all different kinds of, this ought not to even be discussed. <laughs> I mean, one, I don't think God ever meant for us to sit around talking about demons. I think there's spiritual warfare, Ephesians 6. But we're going to start discussing all this stuff. And, um, you know, again, I've seen books on, you know, how to fight against Satan. And it's, you know, a military officer and telling you how they fight against the different enemy and, you know, tactics and strategies. And, you know, this is how we're going to fight. And it's like, again, it's an interesting analogy. It's, it's, you know, it's tantalizing to the mind trying to look at it. But it, again... What are we wasting our time on this for? There's so many verses in the Bible we still need to learn and know. Well, then in verse 15, to the pure, all things are pure, but to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure, but even their mind and conscience are defiled. You know, there's not a real context in this verse, but connecting it to the verses before, talking about Judaism, I have to conclude it's talking about foods. Remember Romans chapter 14? Some say you can't eat meat that's been sacrificed to idols. Others are vegetarians only and so forth. And Paul in that chapter, Romans 14, says, be convinced in your own mind. You know, if, if it's upon your heart to only eat vegetables, then do it. But don't put it on anybody else. If he who eats meat, to the Lord, unto the Lord he eat meat. He who doesn't eat meat, unto the Lord he doesn't eat meat. Let each be convinced in his own mind. But there's no law concerning this. Remember uh, the story in Acts 10 where the sheet comes out of heaven and, and the Lord tells Peter, take and eat. All these uncircumcised uh, or animals that the Jews weren't supposed to eat. They saw it were unclean to the Jews. And he said, not so, Lord. And God said, what I call clean is clean. And of course, Peter took that up later in Galatians, we saw, and was eating all kinds of unclean animals, but uh, didn't want the Jews to know about it. And so again, to, to a person who, and again, religion is this. We'll start on the outside. You know, we'll get you the haircut and get you the suit. You know, shave all the facial hair off and you know, we're going to start on the outside getting you looking holy. And then we're going to get you with all these people who are also doing this. And ultimately, this outward holiness will seep into your heart. That's religion. That's basically all religions do it. You know, we're going to, Hare Krishnas, we're going to shave your head, get you a ponytail, stop eating animals, start chanting Hare Hare Krishna, Krishna Rama Rama. You're going to eventually internally, you know, discover the truth. You know, one hand clapping or whatever it is. Um, And whatever the religion is, you'll always see it. It goes out to end. Christianity is the opposite. Christianity says God changes the heart. And from the heart, outwardly, we begin, as it says in 1 Thessalonians, to know our bodies 
and know how to keep your body in sanctification and in honor. So you know what you do that causes you to start being carnal. You know what you do that causes you to start losing the passion for the Lord and the word. And so, again, what God speaks to me, it's not in the Bible. There's things in the Bible that are clear. That's for all of us. But there's other things that, you know, I, maybe, maybe you're saying, man, I, I got to fast two days a week. I, I've got to fast every Thursday, Friday, and just commit that time to prayer and to the word. And, and, and I just find myself just so close to God. But man, if I, if I don't fast for a couple days a week, man, I just find myself getting carnal. And you know, th- that's what God has showed you. Fasting's in the scripture. It's a wonderful thing. But now if you say, if everybody doesn't fast every Thursday and Friday, how can you be holy on Saturday? You know, thus saith the Lord, we all gotta fast two days a week. Now it's legalism. But God spoke that to your heart and he's giving you grace for that. He's meeting you in that. It's a willing sacrifice. It is a beautiful thing for you. And you need to continue in obedience to the Lord in that. But it's just between you and the Lord. It's not for you to discuss it with everybody else. But once you put it on everybody else, now you have defiled it. Now you're turning into legalism. The last verse we're going to look at here, verse 16. They profess to know God, but in their works they deny him, being abominable, disobedient, disqualified for every good work. The first question here is people often ask, but hold it, I thought we weren't supposed to condemn. Yeah, it's, it's very clear in the scripture There is a word, karino, K-R-I-N-O, the Greek word, which means to condemn. So example, if you look at Matthew 7, the first few verses, Jesus says, don't judge. It's the word karino, don't condemn. And the way you judge others, you're going to be judged. But then if you look in verse 15 of Matthew 7, he turns around and says, beware of false prophets and those in sheep clothing. Inwardly, they're ravenous wolves. And then in Matthew 12, each tree, you'll know it by its fruit. Every good tree bears good fruit. Every bad tree bears bad fruit. He tells us to to judge, to be inspectors, whether they're sheep or wolves, to judge whether they're good fruit or bad fruit. And so, yeah, it's not unto condemnation, but it's unto discernment. And here he's saying that you look at this guy and he has this elaborate doctrine that you never heard me, Paul Apostle, teach or Titus teach. And you came to Titus saying, hey, why don't you ever teach a Bible study on that? And Titus says, no, it's, it's not a doctrine that we would ever teach in the church. But yet this guy's teaching it. Now look at the fruit. Now it's too bad often when you gotta wait for months to see the bad fruit. But instead of people being in the word, they're not in the word. Instead of people being in fellowship, they're, you know, saying, oh, I'm, you know, over here by myself and my Christianity is fine. I don't need the church. And you start seeing their life not being holy but unholy. And he's saying, you can see it. It's abominable. It's disobedient. 
They're being disqualified. And everybody who's following, following them is equally becoming disqualified. Jesus said to the Pharisees, you're whitewashed tombs with dead men's bones. And everybody that you proselyte becomes twice the son of hell as yourself. That was Jesus. I had a lady come up a few weeks ago and she goes, I I can't believe that you said Mormons aren't Christians. You know, that's just such a hateful thing to say. And I was given a list of a whole bunch of things and I said, well, the Bible actually commands me to name names and to point out when either a person or organization is for sure false prophets and false doctrine leading the people away from the true Jesus. I did, that was a very loving thing for me to say. And I I don't regret it. But in her mind, it's like, you know, we just gotta, you know, only say positive things, you know. You know, Mormons, they're, they're a bunch of heretics, but man, they sure have nice haircuts and drive, you know, really have expensive bicycles or whatever I'm supposed to say to be kind about it. No, the Bible says we are to name the names and, and to rebuke the, the heresy that's leading people astray. Again, it's abominable. It's disobedient. It's, they're disqualified. All their good works, even though they may have wonderful good works, they may be feeding the poor or doing whatever, but yet before God, they will have no reward for it in heaven because they have led people away from the true Jesus. Well, a sort of a heavy negative message, right? But if you're thinking about being a leader, and of course I hope all of us are leaders, right? In our homes, in some sphere, you gotta realize that this is important part of the job qualification, if you would, as knowing the truth and speaking the truth. Amen? Lord, we do know that there's much positive truth in the scripture, but there's also much negative truth. And Lord, we do ask in Jesus' name that we would know the Bible, to know thoroughly when somebody is leading people away from the truth that set men free. And here tonight, we see in great detail the things that Paul was having to stand against and telling Titus that he needed to also get past feeling uncomfortable and and get out there and, and to begin to deal with these things that are subverting households and causing people to stray from the faith. And Lord, we ask tonight as, as this message is preached that maybe you're putting a person or a group on our hearts that within our sphere of life that they need to be rebuked. And Lord, we ask that we would by the power of your spirit with grace and love and scripture rebuke them sharply that they would quickly repent and come to a soundness of faith. And Lord, as you're speaking tonight into our own hearts, Lord, if there's some areas that we're allowing sloppy doctrine to come in or things that aren't sound in doctrine but are just off a little bit, but yet it's swaying us that we would no longer take heed to that guy on TV or the radio or those books that, that the majority of Christendom sees as heresy. Lord, help us to not be tantalized through our intellect, to go chasing after things that would lead us away from the fellowship, lead us away from the word, lead us away from humility, 
lead us away from just coming early and staying and ministering to people late. Let us be people after your own heart who do all your will. In Jesus' precious name. And everyone said, amen, amen. amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful rest of the night and rest of the week in the Lord. Bye-bye.